Shalom, and welcome to the Beit Tehillah Community Podcast, discovering the Hebrew roots of the Christian faith. And now, from beautiful Brandon, Florida, here are your hosts, Pastor Nick Plummer and Ryan Cabrera. Shalom, everybody, and welcome to the Beit Tehillah Community Podcast. This is your co-host, Ryan Cabrera, and we are in the new and improved Studio A. That's right. Today, we moved the microphone from one side of the desk to the other, and we are having revival on the left side of the desk over here in Pastor Nick's area. Hey, Pastor Nick. Shalom. Welcome. Feeling good with that mic over there? Oh, love mic. It's revival. <laughs> love mic. Oh, man. So, a uh, couple housekeeping items today. First off, thank you for listening. Um, if you are listening on your iPhone through the uh, podcast app, you could do us a big favor and review the podcast. One of the ways that podcasts get bumped up in the rankings on iTunes is for you to review them. Now, if you're an iPhone user, which I uh, am not, then you will have to figure out it's actually a complicated process to try to get to the review section. But if you're listening to this and you appreciate this podcast, we would greatly appreciate your review on iTunes. Uh, You have to come out of the podcast, go to like the actual podcast list, and then there's a review this podcast section. You can review it. Uh, for us. And that, like I said, would help us out. Uh, And to that end, we actually got a comment on YouTube this week, which we were pretty excited about. Uh, So we wanted to first say hi to Josephine Berglund. Josephine, if you're listening, thank you for listening. Uh, Josephine, for the rest of you, uh, made a comment on one of our YouTube videos and said, I learned about your church via your podcast. And then now she's watching some of the YouTube teachings from our Saturday services. Um, and hopefully that's been a blessing to you, Josephine. We just wanted to say, uh, you know, many blessings to you. We appreciate you listening and watching, and hopefully uh, we can be of service to you in some way uh, moving forward. Uh, so again, don't forget to leave us reviews. We love your comments. We love your feedback. You can email me uh, at ryan at twopraise.net, ryan at twopraise.net. I love hearing from you guys, so please don't leave my inbox lonely. Uh, I want to hear from you guys. If you think that, oh, maybe I shouldn't email him or you're scared, don't be afraid. Just email me. I want to hear from you. Love uh, your questions, love your feedback, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Also, we wanted to give a couple more shout outs. Uh, One to Mr. John Hackett in Maine. Mr. Hackett, thank you for listening. We just wanted to, to, you know, send some blessings your way. We appreciate your, uh, your continuous listenership. Is that something? Is that a thing? Listenership? Yes. Sounds like a new word. Yeah, man, maybe I made it up. Listenership. Like funner. <laughs> and then uh, also, Mr. Lester in Puerto Rico, you are missed. Mr. Lester Gonzalez is a, a faithful member of the Beit Tehila congregation and uh, is from Puerto Rico and has been going back and forth uh, between Puerto Rico and here. And in this season, Lester is in Puerto Rico. And we just want you to know, Lester, that we miss you and we love you and we'd appreciate you listening to the podcast and all that. Last but not least, we also wanted to let you guys know that we are looking to expand the podcast to make it a video. So if you think that uh, making this podcast a video and still also having the audio available for those of you that listen to us in the car and stuff like that, but having kind of two ways to listen and look at what we're doing. Um, we are looking at, at possibly moving this onto the YouTube platform as well, which would include some video and some improvements, some more improvements to Studio A. Um, 
we would appreciate it uh, if you would let us know that. And if you are interested in that and you believe that that's a good idea, uh, we also appreciate your giving. So many of you guys are giving. One thing that we do want to mention to you guys is that there is a memo section uh, on the website. So when you guys give, which again, thank you very much for your giving. If in the memo, you'll just put podcast and that lets us know, hey, I was listening to the podcast and I'm giving because of the podcast. That'll help us out just to kind of identify who's giving um, from our podcast listeners. Uh, but again, we are looking to expand into video uh, onto several different platforms. And if you guys can help us by uh, giving to the ministry, we may have some specific asks uh, here in the near future as we're kind of figuring out exactly what it is that we need. But if again, when you're giving online, if you can just put podcast or maybe there's something specific, a hey, podcast expansion, um, we can kind of take that those funds and, and allocate them specifically towards the expansion of the podcast. So Man, that was a lot of housekeeping items. So if you have any questions about any of that stuff, email me. Ryan at topraise.net uh, is where you can email me. So we are going to be studying Akarimot, which means after the death. Uh, it is the Torah portion for this week, and it can be found in the book of Leviticus chapter 16 and verse 1 and ending in chapter 18 and verse 30. So we're making a transition here, folks. Notice that... Uh, the book of Leviticus is broken up into two parts. We have, of course, the way to God is chapters 1 to 17. And, of course, the walk with God is chapters 18 to 27. Just a little reminder, this book starts with consecration and it ends with consecration. Uh, the theme is you shall be holy. And once again, this is actually a book for the priesthood. And it says that, uh, you know, uh, you shall be my priests, you know, a, a, a nation of priests. And so... Uh, Peter even quotes that as well from uh, Exodus 19, as you receive the Torah, uh, the priest taught the Torah. So uh, in, a, in a symbolic kind of way, we can say that, hey, we're, we're the priest of the Lord. He's given us the Torah. Now we're going to share it. We're going to live it. We're going to do it. And uh, even Yeshua makes mention that those that do these things will be greater in the kingdom, uh, which is right there in Matthew 5. So once again, we're going to be looking at the Akaramot after the death. And uh, we're going to go right into it with, of course, the Day of Atonement. Uh, and Ryan's going to read Leviticus chapter 16, verses 1 through 16. Once again, we're going to be reading 16 verses. The public reading of scriptures, we firmly believe that whatever you speak comes towards you. Uh, yes, we definitely believe that. And the Leviticus uh, is the meat of the Torah, and we are right in the middle of the middle of the Torah. So how cool is that, right? I mean, okay, maybe I'm just the, the Torah nerd over here. All right, so we're going to do chapter 16, verses 1 through 16, and here it goes. And the Lord spake unto Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they offered before the Lord and died. And the Lord said unto Moses, Speak unto Aaron thy brother, that he come not at all times into the holy place within the veil before the mercy seat, which is upon the ark, that he die not. For I will appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. Thus shall Aaron come into the holy place with a young bullock, for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat and he shall have the linen breeches upon his flesh and shall be girded with a linen girdle and and with the linen miter shall he be all uh, attired. These are holy garments. Therefore shall he wash his flesh in water and put them on. And he shall take of the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. And Aaron shall offer his bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make an atonement for himself and for his house. And he shall take two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. 
And Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell and offer him for a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make an atonement with him and to let him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. And Aaron shall bring the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, and shall make an atonement for himself and for his house, and shall kill the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself. And he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from off the altar before the Lord, and his hands full of sweet incense beaten small, and bring it within the veil. And he shall put the incense upon the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is upon the testimony that he die not. And he shall take the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it with his finger upon the mercy seat eastward, and before the mercy seat shall he sprinkle the blood with his finger seven times. Then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering, that is, for the people, and bring his blood within the veil, and do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bullock, and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. And he shall make an atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions in all their sins. And so shall he do for the tabernacle of the congregation that remaineth among them in the midst of their uncleanness. Wow. Now, once again, this is after the death of Nadab and Abihu, Aaron's sons. So let's keep it in, in perspective here. Let's keep it in context. So once again, you just cannot schlep in and out of the presence of God. You cannot just go where you want to go and do what you want to do. Uh, and that's, this is what I love about the ceremonial part of the law. It, it slows you down. It makes you think. You know, people say, well, the ceremonial law has been done away with, blah, blah, blah. But what it does is it's like a safeguard. It's kind of like the three branches of government of, of, of America, you know, our government. The three branches help to protect us from a tyrant or a, a dictator or whatever. So once again, uh, it's the same thing in regards to God. Uh, he has us go through these these ceremonies or these uh, cer- yeah, it's a ceremonial uh, process to uh, because they're spiritual laws. God is a spirit. He is holy. He's without sin. And so he's basically laying the groundwork to basically, this is how you approach me. This is who I am. This is how it works. You know, uh, to put it in, into perspective, it's kind of like you want to go backstage at a concert, but you don't have a backstage pass. Um, usually if you try to cheat or get in there, they're going to grab you and you're going to throw you out because you don't have a backstage pass. So once again, that's what we're looking at. We're looking at the backstage pass to get into the presence of God. And he's laying it out for us. And once again, as you begin to read the Torah portions uh, with the Holy Spirit, get excited. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you what you need to be shown uh, because there is protocol. And, and look for the principles. Yeah, there is no more temple and everything. We understand all that. But there's there's principles involved here. So so Aaron, the high priest, he can he can only go into the holy place on the Day of Atonement. So something's, the stage is being set. So I want you to think about this. The high priest is the mediator, right, between God That's and man. That's the holy of holies. The holy of holies. Right. So, so yeah, and it's the smallest compartment of the tabernacle. So once again, it represents his throne, the mercy seat, the, the angels, the you know the the Torah and the manna and the rod are all in the ark, which represents a, a whole other uh, avenue of truth. But anyway, so Aaron had to bring a sin offering, which is a bullock, and a burnt offering, a ram for him and his sons. 
So see, he wasn't above reproach. See, he was a sinner just like all of us and, and fallen short of the glory of God. And so he had to have a sacrifice for him and his sons. And of course, Aaron was commanded to wear special garments for the Day of Atonement. Pretty much straight up cotton, uh, no colors, no ephod, none of that stuff. Uh, straight up cotton, 100% white, which is very interesting because on the Day of Atonement, we tell everyone to dress up in white which is, of course, symbolic of this reference as well. And, of course, now we're going to be moving into the special offerings for the Day of Atonement, which is Yom Kippur. Uh, the children of Israel had to bring a sin offering and a burnt offering. Uh, they had to bring a sin offering and a burnt offering. Once again, the burnt offering uh, was a ram, and it's totally consumed. So whoosh, it goes up, right? And then, of course, the two kids of the goats for a sin offering. Once again, there's going to be two goats, for a sin offering. Once again, a sin offering is mandatory. You have to have a sin offering. Uh, the burnt offering is voluntary, you know, in and of itself. But here it's required to have a sin offering of two goats and a burnt offering, which is one ram. Now, here we have the two goats. And uh, the question is, what was Aaron to do in order to determine which goat was the sin offering? Okay. He had to cast lots. He had to cast lots to see which one was going to be the sin offering because there's going to be two goats. Now, you need to understand this. And, of course, the, uh, the other goat, uh, actually, that's not the sin offering, is going to be called the scapegoat or Azazel, and it was sent into the wilderness. Okay, so think about it. One goat is for the sin offering. The other goat is the scapegoat or Azazel, and it was sent into the wilderness. Uh, very interesting a little uh, tidbit here, if, you, if you've if you read the book of Enoch, it's interesting that the chief demon, his name is Azazel. Hmm. Uh, and the reference, of course, to go into the wilderness is to a dry place. It's because, you know, uh, these evil spirits, these familiar spirits, demonic spirits, they're looking for a host. We call them squatters. Uh, when you talk about a possession or people being possessed, uh, demons don't possess anything. We call them squatters. And you got to get them out because they don't possess anything. They don't own anything. And that's, you know, the, the, the terminology that's used in the Greek, this possession thing. But, but the connotation is that they don't really own anything. They just try to, they're like squatters. And you got to get them out. They don't have the rights. Don't give them rights. Yeah. So I, so I, I, I know I've heard over time a couple different ideas about the scapegoat that it was sent out into the wilderness and they would mark it uh, as the scapegoat. And then like, it comes wandering back into the camp at some point. Right. That's, you know, and so they didn't want that. And so there's ideas. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. So there's ideas that they would, they would push him over the cliff. There's a cliff actually in Israel at the bottom of this cliff, Ryan, they have dug up bones of goats. Wow. That's so, okay. So that leads even more credence to that, that idea. Yeah. But then there's also, uh, this, another, you know, idea, and I don't know if this is first temple period, second temple period, maybe some of you guys can email me and educate me on that. But, um, the, the scapegoat, uh, also there's a theory that they would beat it and like break its legs and then toss it out. Into the, so that way it couldn't make it back into the camp. Cause the whole thing is that you put the whole, the yeah, sin of the story on that, of the camp and, and it not to come in. But I was thinking like, you know, you cast these holy lots, right? So so I would say that in this case, this is not, you know, rolling dice in no, Vegas to figure this out. I mean, this is this is holy lots where God is actually determining which one is which. One for the Lord and one is the scapegoat. And I would think, does it defeat the purpose to throw it off a cliff if the whole idea is for it to wander out to a dry place? You know what I mean? I just think it's well, the scapegoat. It's the one escaping. You know, it's interesting because you know? that, that's added 
that's added information yeah. that we don't have. No, of course, yeah, to, of course. To, to go ahead and look back and see what did they do, how did they do it. Uh, but once again, it was sent into the wilderness, and, and we're going to look at that. Yeah. Uh, what's interesting about this as well is that uh, if you want to read Leviticus sixteen twelve, Ryan, in regards to the sweet incense that Aaron had in his hand, just read that verse. Yeah, it says, And he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from off the altar before the Lord, and his hands full of sweet incense beaten small, and bring it within the veil. So he would take it off yeah. the altar of incense, well, put it in a censer. This is what this is what gets me. Okay. If you go back to Nadab and Abihu, they offered up strange fire. Right. So right here in this verse, it says that, uh, that Aaron gets the right fire. Right. He gets it from the altar. Right. So think about that, everybody. The, the Bible interprets itself, okay? It just really does. The scripture interprets scripture. So once again, after the death of the sons, so Aaron knew the protocol. He knew to get the fire off the altar, put it in the censer, and he's got a handful of incense, sweet incense, beaten small, and bring it within the veil, and he's going to put it on the golden altar. The golden altar is made out of gold, but the other altar is made out of brass. So we're looking at intercession now, you know, intercession. Uh, I would say in our culture today, and of course it's symbolic of prayers. So stop and look at our culture today, and I think we're all guilty of this. We make accusations, not intercession. You know, we're quick to make Ooh, accusations. Yeah. And yeah, we don't even sure. have all the facts, and we just blurt out stuff. We think you know, ill of people or something, you know, we just, just point blank, just shoot them down, you know, friendly fire. Uh, and so what's happening is in our culture is that we're, we're not a- establishing truth. Uh, that's why you hear the president say, you know, if, if you would like to do the impersonation of Donald Trump and how he feels about the media, what is he always saying? Fake news. Yeah. Fake news. Yeah. You know, and so it's, 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 it's a shame that journalism has come to this, uh, to be so opinionated, but just report the story, you know? So as we're looking at this, remember now we're looking at protocol. There had to be, of course, what there had to be a burnt offering and there had to be a sin offering in regards to this, you know, to not fully give of yourself, Ryan, to the Lord is kind of a, you know, it's not really a good place to be in. You know, it's kind of like, you know, I'll, I'll be your husband, honey. But, you know, these are the areas that I really want to do what I want to do, you know. Mm. And the wife would probably look at you like, well, no, I don't think that's going to work. Yeah. You know. Or I, a husband I, to the I, wife, same thing. I need that area, you know. Or, or maybe you're trying to take the place of whatever. If, even if you have children, you know, they have these responsibilities. So we're getting into this whole intercession thing. And I've, I've learned this, you know. Um, from my understanding, when, when, the, when the Torah was given, Moses went up and down the mountain eight times, uh, which means new beginnings. So we really need to be praying. You know, uh, so many people have told me, you know, they, they hate the president and this and that. I'm like, you know, we, we're supposed to pray for him. You know, our, our relatives are political or whatever. But but I say, you know, we're supposed to pray for our leaders and just teach them that and show them that and, and not to have that, that strong opinion because we are to pray for our leaders. And so, of course, uh, Aaron at the mercy seat, he took the blood of the bullock and sprinkled it with his finger eastward seven times. And the blood of the goat was done in the same manner. Okay. And it was done in the same manner. Once again, what's the bullock? Uh, it's, of course, uh, the offering for Aaron and his sons. And, of course, we look at this uh, goat uh, for, the, for the people. And, and we can see this. Um, and if Ryan could read Leviticus 16, 16, uh, we're going to really go over these two goats and what they actually mean in of themselves. Right. It says, And he shall make an atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel, and because of their transgressions and all their sins, 
and so shall he do for the tabernacle of the congregation that remaineth among them in the midst of their uncleanness. Okay, so think about the first goat. It's for the place, the tabernacle. Because if we're unclean and, and we go into this tabernacle, we make the tabernacle unclean. So this is why you're dealing with unclean spirits. You're dealing with uncleanness. Uh, think about it all the way across the board. That's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to contaminate the waters. <laughs> he wants to contaminate your clothing, your skin, and your homes. You know, that's why you'll see people doing all these, you know, tattoos and body piercing and stuff. They don't, because a lot of them are ignorant. They, they don't realize what's going on here. But that's what the enemy wants to do. And it goes back to uh, these things that can be unclean. Once again, skin, clothing, and homes. So with this goat being sacrificed, it's, it's to make atonement for the place, for the tabernacle. And so, and we're going to see as well that uh, all the sins of Israel will be put on the scapegoat and sent out into the wilderness. So here's the question. Uh, atonement was made not only for the people, but for the tabernacle as well. How is that applicable today? Okay, so the, the question really is, the places where, where we live, or, or where we're working or whatever, we should try to create, you know, a good environment, you know, and, and we all need to kind of go through our homes and see what do we need to get rid of? What, what are we doing? You know, even here in our sanctuary, you know, we don't permit eating, you know, because we want to s- sanctify it and set it apart so you can bring water or whatever. And, uh, and, and it's just, you know, not to be mean or anything or, or, or rigid or anything. It's just that the carpets stay nicer. The sanctuary's nice, you know, and we have a lot of children. Uh, matter of fact, I think last night in our Torah study, we almost hit like 40% were youth and children in our Monday night small group Torah study. So uh, you can see where atonement was, was made not only for the people, but for the tabernacle as well. Uh, places are very important. I know, have you ever like gone into a place and just felt like unclean or like dirty, or you felt like, man, there's something here that's not right? Kind of even the hair on the back of your neck goes up or something. Oh yeah, or, for sure. So I know Ryan could share some stories about that. Oh yeah, I'm sure I can. Um, yeah, being in the workplace sometimes, man, just you get exposed to stuff that you don't necessarily want to be because I mean the world out there is secular. It's not. It's not on our side, and the culture is wicked. But you know, to that end, it's funny because sometimes you know, uh, in just like Christian circles, occasionally we'll be sitting in a Bible study and, and there will come up a debate like whether something is is permissible for the Christian or not. You know permissible or not permissible. And so one of the things that comes up, you know, pretty frequently has to do with like specific shows. And, and the one I'm going to use, you don't have to send me any emails on this one is Game of Thrones. Okay. So everybody understands soft porn. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, everybody understands that I've never seen it. Neither have I. So I'm not going to are sp- raving about it. Yeah. I'm not going to speak. It's got the acronym got yeah. GOT. So I'm not going to speak to the specific content of Game of Thrones, but I think that um, when you're when you're dealing with the realms of clean and unclean, when you're talking about the dietary command, you're talking about uh, these things in, in Leviticus, that things that make you clean and unclean, the spiritual application now to the Christian believer today, even say one that doesn't believe that the dietary requirements are relevant for today, looks at something like the Game of Thrones and says, yeah, that's probably not kosher, Right from a spiritual nature, that I shouldn't be exposing myself to these things. And then you have this whole other realm over here of Christians that say, what are you talking about? It's just entertainment, you know, da-da-da-da-da, whatever, that make kind of an excuse for it. And you have these two camps over here. And what happens is the camp that says that this is not good has difficulty backing up 
what it is they're saying because all of a sudden they're pointing to commandments they're pointing to things that talk about clean and unclean they're 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 talking to new testament scriptures that really point to torah relevant commandments right and and have have kind of trouble because if if there's freedom in Christ to do whatever you want and expose yourself to whatever you want any uncleanness at this point really then then maybe this camp over here that says, hey, we should just watch Game of Thrones and enjoy it. You know, it. It, it's the power of persuasion, though. It's the power of influence, Ryan. Right. You know, everybody's promoting it. So I would say this, you know, and not to be critical or judgmental whether you watch Game of Thrones or not. That's that's your business. But I would say this, though. <laughs> I would say this, though. Why can't we promote the kingdom of God? Like, you and I are promoting the Torah portions. Right, right. Christians with Torah. Right. Wow. CWT. A, new, a new acronym. CWT. Christians with Torah. Wow. And you know what? There, it's already been stereotyped, right? There's we are Christians stigma, with Torah. But when, when they see our lives, right. that we're blessed, and we have relationships, and we're happy, and we get to do these things that God is showing us, I'm telling you, it's a game changer. Well, and to that point, I they're think... they're going to want to hang around you. I think that, you know, the evangelism of the community of Beit Tehillah is the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? And I think that's one of the concerns that, that many Christians have when they talk to to me, at least, about the Hebrew Roots Movement or Beit Tehillah as a community, is that somehow that we are going to go and teach somebody that they need to follow all the Old Testament commandments and the Torah commandments prior to bringing them to a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's just not true. First and foremost, our number one priority is the person of Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith and the author of the Torah. And so it's more important that we have works uh, or salvation-based works than we do works-based salvation, because there is no such thing as works-based salvation. Yeah, we're justified by the finished work of the cross. Right. But now that, we're being sanctified. Correct. Right. And so to that end, you know, I'm not telling you that the doctrinal position of Beta Hill is that you can't watch Game of Thrones. My point to you is that it's an obvious example of the wickedness of our culture and how we are so numb. That we would say, hey, there's no big deal. Let's argue for the purpose of watching this as a Christian. It's like, man, what better things could we do with our time? And and, and let me just put a plug out there for some of you. If if you're concerned about what's what's in a movie, let me let me give you a little plug here uh, to to a particular uh, website or 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 you know an app that you could put on your phone. It's called IMDb, and uh, there's a there's a part in there where it says Parents Choice. Or like a review, so it'll actually tell you, you know, uh, about the curse words or sexual immorality or, or nakedness or drunkenness or violence. They'll actually break it down for you, and you can actually use the IMDb app and review it before you even watch it. You know, uh, I know I've I've actually started watching a movie, then I had to turn it off. I'm thinking I can't watch this, and we've all been there. You know, we all love movies, we all love to watch TV or listen to music, but you know what's going into us. You know, so so we're going to move on here because we're we're actually talking about this ceremonial part of the law here. <laughs> uh, we really are, and we're excited about it. So check this out. So no man was allowed in the tabernacle of the congregation when Aaron made atonement in the holy place. Now he could only go in there once a year. So they set they set up camp, they set up the tabernacle. He could only go in where the ark is once a year. Imagine that. I mean, that, that place has got to be dusty. You know, the ark's got to have dust and dirt all over it because there's nobody going in there. Yeah. Until you take it apart and then you can, you know, cover it's funny. It. I was thinking about that. Like, who, who cleans I know. the ark? It's amazing. You know, you talk about a cleaning lady, but think I, about it. I you think know, God you cleans only get the to ark. see the ark when you cover it and you're going to carry it, you know. And then, of course, the blood of the bullock and the goat or the sin offering for Aaron and the people was applied to the horns of the altar to make atonement for it. There you go. So here we continue on in, in that regard. Amen. We continue on in that. 
And of course, uh, what was confessed over the scapegoat in Leviticus 16.21? All the iniquities of the children of Israel. And I was like, yeah. how do you even do that? And I think it's my, a lot like a Neela service. And the hand to the head yeah. kind of thing, yeah. And of course, the, uh, the priest would send the goat into an uninhabited uh, area or land. Uninhabited. No people. Why? Because all the sins were on this goat, you know. Uh, matter of fact, uh, I think it's even referenced in the New Testament that these spirits would go to a dry place. Right. Where there would be no people. See, they couldn't, you know, we talk about the person cleaning his his act up, cleaning his life up, and then all of a sudden, what, seven more demons come in because he didn't replace it with the kingdom of God or with the, the things Holy of Spirit. God. That's right. right. So uh, the person who, who let the scapegoat go into the wilderness, uh, before coming back into the camp, they would have to wash their clothes and bathe his flesh. Once again, a ceremony. Now, is that such a bad thing? No, we do laundry. We take baths. You know, so once again, this is a ceremony. Does it hurt anybody? No, but here it is. It's ceremonial. He washed his clothes. He bathed his flesh. Then he came back in the camp. Once again, everyone, ceremony slows everything down. It's a thought process. Step one, step two, because we're in such a rush. Have you ever done that? You want to do something, you know, and then all of a sudden you realize, you know what? I really rushed this. I'm not even rushing. And I did this. And so once again, we can, we can see this, uh, looking at the uh, celebration of the day of atonement or Yom Kippur, it falls in the seventh month on the 10th day in the evening and no work should be done in the seventh day. On the 10th day of the month, we know that Yom Teruah is in the seventh month on the first day. So we go into this whole 10 days of all. And then I'm going to have Ryan read Leviticus 16, 34. And this shall be an everlasting statute unto you to make an atonement for the children of Israel for all their sins once a year. And he did as the Lord commanded Moses. So once again, atonement also means at one meant, at one meant. So uh, think about it. Uh, now, now we're going to get into a little bit of some New Testament reading here because we want to bring out something that we're so thankful for, and that's the fact that it is better to have Yeshua, the Son of God, as our high priest than an earthly one. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 as our first reference, and we're going to look where Yeshua is our high priest. And how many of you know that the temple veil was torn from top to bottom when Yeshua died on the cross? And what is that saying? That we now have access to the throne because he's our high priest. Remember that, everyone. You're not trying to get into the Holy of Holies. We have access because of the shed blood of Yeshua, okay, upon that mercy seat and that altar, okay? We have access to the Father. He's sitting on the throne. That's what the ark represents. And picture the curtain torn. You see the throne, you see the Father, and he's looking into the inner court. He's looking at the menorah, table of showbread, and of course, the altar of incense, which signifies prayer. So let's look at Yeshua as our high priest in the New Testament. Oh yeah, so um, the, the, the high priesthood is, is a big deal here in this whole, um, this whole section of Leviticus talking about the Day of Atonement. So I would encourage you, just as your extra reading, to read the book of Hebrews in entirety, in context of Leviticus 16 and 17. So as you're reading Leviticus and and this um, and this section of Scripture, I would jump into the New Testament, into the book of Hebrews, to kind of see how they play together. And so uh, in chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 of um, the book of Hebrews, it says, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. 
Wow. So, so what is this saying? This is saying that Yeshua is the high priest, that he is a, a, a better high priest, right? Um, and then if we jump in uh, over to chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, it says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our profession, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So it's about who you know, Ryan. Who do you know? You know, think about it. So this goes back to a relationship, everyone. You know, some of the most disturbing scriptures are in the New Testament where he says, you know, depart from me. I never knew you. But wait a minute. I did all these things in your name, you know, and just kind of going over the whole Godhead thing. Think about it. Uh, What is the Godhead? The Father? The Son and the Holy Spirit, you know, the, the three are one, the Godhead. The Father represents the will, okay, all right? Yeshua, Jesus, represents what? The Word, and the Holy Spirit represents the power, deutimous power, amen? And so you put those three together, and it's powerful. And, and we believe in the Shema, Hero Israel, the Lord of God, the Lord is one. It's the Godhead, and that's what's so incredible. That's why we want to get into the Word and let the Word get into us. And so He is our high priest. So as you put this in perspective, you know, we, we can see where we have access to the throne. You know, you're not trying to make your way to the Holy of Holies. Man, I just want to make my way to the Holy of Holies. What do I have to do to get there? We're already there. The temple veil was torn from the top to the bottom. I believe that he, he, you know, our Heavenly Father, he's trying to bust out of there. He's trying to get out of there to get to us. Well, think of it this way. So in in the comparison between the earthly tabernacle and the heavenly tabernacle, uh, which would be better uh, in our eyes, right? We would say the heavenly tabernacle. So we have a better sacrifice. Yeshua is our sacrifice. He is also our high priest. And where the high priest on earth can give you instructions— on how you could take these steps to become clean, our heavenly high priests can make you clean. And that was brought out in your group. Right, it was. And so then also, um, you, you perceive it this way, right? So now we have this better high priest, he's in heaven. Uh, would you say that, because um, you know, we talk in this context now in a lot of Christian circles about boldly entering the throne room of grace, right? To, to come before God into the Holy of Holies. Now, does that mean that like we skip chewing gum, kind of wearing whatever we want, doing whatever we want up into, you know... No, we know the protocol. Right. Well, there. in, in other words, my question would then be, is, does you think Jesus himself, Yeshua, do you think he's following protocol in heaven while he's ministering in the, the tabernacle in heaven? And I think everybody would say yes, obviously. Well, guess what? You are now made righteous before God because you have the righteousness of Christ. So you right. are then it, kind of walking with him into the Holy of Holies before the Father. And so he is the reason why you're able to do this, because he is the high priest, and you kind of are are an extension of him in this stead. So, And I think at one point he even says, don't touch me, remember? That's what uh, I said th- to the Father. Right. Never, so right, there was right. some protocol going on, and there were some spiritual laws being fulfilled that even he couldn't break. Right. He says, we can't just, you know, we can't just break this. Right. You know, we can't just, we have to follow the protocol. And I think that's wonderful when you think about it, because it's all about spiritual laws, and God doesn't change, so we see the principles being poured out. Let's go ahead and look at uh, chapter 17, Blood is Sacred. Uh, Ryan's going to read Leviticus 17, verses 1 through 9, Blood is Sacred. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children, I'm sorry, speak unto Aaron, and unto his sons, and unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, This is the thing which the Lord hath commanded, saying, What man soever there be... 
of the house of Israel that killeth an ox or lamb or goat in the camp, or that killeth it out of the camp, and bringeth it not unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation to offer an offering unto the Lord before the tabernacle of the Lord, blood shall be imputed unto that man. He hath shed blood, and that man shall be cut off from among the people." To the end that the children of Israel may bring their sacrifices, which they offer to the uh, offer in open field, even that they may bring them unto the Lord, unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, unto the priests, and offer them for peace offerings unto the Lord. And the priest shall sprinkle the blood upon the altar, and the Lord uh, of the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and burn the fat for a sweet savor unto the Lord. Uh, and they shall no more offer their sacrifices unto devils after whom they have gone a whoring. This shall be a statute forever unto them throughout their generations. And thou shalt say unto them, Whatsoever man there be of the house of Israel or the strangers which sojourn among you that offereth a burnt offering or sacrifice and bringeth it not unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation to offer it unto the Lord, even that man shall be cut off from among his people." So once again, protocol. We're looking at protocol. What are the principles here? What's going on here? Well, you know, what would happen to the person who did not bring his sacrifice to the door of the tabernacle of the congregation? What would uh, that, happen? That person is cut off from the people of Israel. So help me clarify this real quick. Uh, I want to understand as well. So does this mean that, hey, I can't slaughter the animal and then bring the carcass or a part of the carcass no. to the door? Or so is this be saying, at the right place at the right time. Or yeah. is this saying that if I slaughter an animal outside of the tabernacle, that I have to bring a portion to the, to the priest? I mean, you think about the whole act, the whole responsibility is at the tabernacle. Uh, that's, where, that's where it's meant to be. So don't you know, kind of like don't do put the slaughter before the yeah don't do, it's like a do-it-yourself program here no that doesn't work right you know uh, oh I'm good you know I got my Hebrew roots my family and I yeah we're just we're good yeah but you're not with anybody yeah and you're not even joining you know right. what's happening and what's going on around you uh, but uh, I want Ryan to read Leviticus seventeen ten here's a great question we need to answer it was blood allowed to be eaten Leviticus seventeen ten because he read up to uh, I think verse nine yeah. So. And whatsoever man there be of the house of Israel or of the strangers that sojourn among you that eateth any manner of blood, I will even set my face against that soul that eateth blood and will cut him off from among his people. Now, here's the question. Why can't we eat blood? The answer is actually going to be found in Leviticus 17.11. Right. And Ryan's going to read that as well. So once again, let's check it out. Here we go. It says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. And this is actually a cross-reference to Hebrews 9.22 as well. So once again, For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And so when God breathed into us and he did what he did, he made us out of the dirt of the earth and, and he made the animals and everything. He gave them, he gave them blood, right? For the life of the flesh is in the blood. So that's why, you know, um, you can't eat the blood because the life of the flesh is in the blood. So that's why you can't have blood pudding and stuff. I was talking with Mrs. Campbell from, from England and stuff. She was talking about some of the dishes they have over there. Oh, yeah, blood pudding. Not, not one I definitely want to partake in. But just different things, you know. Uh, so once again, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I've given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. So think about this. This is deep, I know. This is so deep. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. So you, you, you have to give it and put it upon, what, the altar for atonement. So it's it's holy. It's there's something about it. It's a soul, you know. Even animals have blood, you know. So you cannot eat the blood because the life of the flesh is in the blood. So you'd be taking their life and kind of 
I say mocking it or abusing or whatever it is, if you eat the blood. That's right. So and here and here it says in uh, in in nine twenty one it says moreover he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of of the ministry, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood is no remission. Um, and it was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that we should offer, er, that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with blood of others. For then he... Uh, then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now, once in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And so, again, a better high priest, a better sacrifice. So so let's put it in perspective. So let me help all of you guys, because as I'm older now and more mature and gain a lot of information and knowledge, here's the thing that I've learned. Chapters 1 through 17 is the way to God. Listen, you need to understand the sacrificial system. You need to understand why did he require sacrifices? Why did he require uh, the blood on the altar? You need to understand these principles. Why? Because this is the way to God, everyone. And, and I'm just, I feel that in my spirit right now. I feel this, I feel this urge. I feel this inclination that we're covered in this culture with the occult. And the occult does not believe in atonement. Okay? There is, atone, there is no atonement for the occult. You'll never find atonement in the occult. Will you find human sacrifice, or they're, they're they're killing babies? Whatever you want to whatever you want to say, yes. But I'll tell you right now, it's not for atonement. It's because it's a spirit of murder. It, it's a mockery of God's sacrificial. It's an system. appeasement. It's an appeasement. Now here's the thing: it's the shedding of innocent blood. Even the children of Israel passed their children through the fire in Moloch. Think about it. So I don't want to hear this. Well, that's not me or that, you know, I'm good to go or that you need to reevaluate your life. Are you making your way to God? Do you understand the sacrificial system that God has laid out? Because people get nervous about that. They get a little squirrely on you when you start talking about the blood of Jesus and how he shed his blood and all that. Uh, I mean, even the Jews. But, but the bottom line is that it's a bloody gospel, everyone. And God doesn't change. So Jesus bled from many parts of his body. From the from his hand, you know, the, the nail prints in his hands to to his feet to the spear in his side to the crown of thorns, he was flogged. I mean, how much blood did he shed? I mean, think about it, everyone. So something to consider. This is so important. Go back and study the five sacrifices. We have some incredible resources uh, on YouTube on our YouTube channel with Beit Tehillah uh, in teaching on the sacrificial system and everything, the five sacrifices and all that. Once you understand that, you are making your way to God. But here's the here's the, the good news. We are now getting ready to go into the walk with God. In chapter bah, 18, bah, bah. The, the subtitle would be Improper Relations, but we're going to call it Secret Sins. That's right. So Ryan's going to read in Leviticus chapter 18, in, in this last chapter of this Torah portion, Improper Relations chapter 18, verses 1 through 6. These are secret sins. Let's check it out. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, I am the Lord your God. After the doings of the land of Egypt, wherein ye dwelt, shall ye not do. And after the doings of the land of Canaan, whither I bring you, shall ye not do. Neither shall ye walk in their ordinances. Ye shall do my judgments, and keep mine ordinances, to walk therein. I am the Lord your God. Ye shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man do, he shall live in them. I am the Lord. 
None of you shall approach to any that is near of kin to him to uncover their nakedness. I am the Lord. So we're going to just break this down. Once again, secret sins uncover somebody's nakedness. So if you go on and read, and we're not going to get into this right now, but uh, the Lord prohibits incest, okay? The Lord prohibits incest, okay? Uh, that's having an improper relationship with your relatives, okay? He totally is against that. Uh, and we know, it's interesting, you know, with the culture in which we're living right now, there's a lot of incest going on. There's a lot of sexual abuse going on within the families, with aunts and uncles. I tell you, I've, I, actually, the last two weeks, I've heard of some situations from some people that were talking about relatives that were, of course, sexually abused. You know, and that's like a forced incest, you know. Yeah. Um, whether it's through a consent or not, the bottom line is that it's improper, it's improper. So just to make that perfectly clear, uh, he prohibits incest. And so that's what we're having all these problems uh, in that regard. And of course, you, you could not lay with a woman that was unclean, uh, Leviticus 18, 19. Uh, in Leviticus 18, 21, uh, the Lord prohibits human sacrifice, human sacrifice. And then, of course, uh, in Leviticus 18.22, it's right there. The Lord prohibits homosexuality. Uh, Ryan, if you could just read Leviticus 18.22, we're just covering what, what the Lord has said. It's not what I said. It's what the Lord has said. Uh, he prohibits homosexuality. Leviticus 18.22, if you could just read that. Yep, it says, Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is abomination. You know, so so just think about it, you know. Now, now the, the case in point is this, you know. Uh, even nature teaches that it's wrong. So here's the situation. Um, you're going to have to follow nature in order to reproduce someone who wants to practice homosexuality. You're going to have to actually have a man and a woman to procreate the way God intended it. Because if our society was homosexuals, it would die off. Because you couldn't reproduce. Eventually, yeah. So once again, it's just something to think about that even nature uh, teaches us this. Uh, and so we're, we're moving on here, uh, even as far as the land. Let's look at Leviticus 18.25. All right, Leviticus 18.25, And the land is defiled, therefore I do visit the iniquity thereof upon it, and the land itself vomiteth out her inhabitants. Wow. The land itself vomiteth out her inhabitants. So once again, um, it, this is interesting. Uh, why? Because God is setting a precedent here. And I got a little list here, uh, and I think you'll find it very interesting uh, as far as that goes. So let's look at the past conquerors and empires of Israel. Let's, let's just go back and see where are they at today that came into the land of Israel to conquer it. Are they still there? No. Check it out. Uh, in 1200 BC, we had the Canaanites. Are they still around? Nope. What about 721 BC with the Assyrians? Nope. Not one in sight. 586 BC. What about the Babylonians? Nope. Nope. Nebuchadnezzar's gone. What about 539 BC with the Persians? Nope. There's no Persians. Just the carpets. Persian carpets. <laughs> now you go into the Grecians, which is Alexander the Great, uh, 332 BC. Nope. Not there. Nowhere to be found. Check it out. Now we go into the Hasmonean period, which is, of course, the, the Maccabees. And then, of course, that's 141 to 37 BC. And then here comes Herod, the Herodian period. He comes along. He wipes out the Hasmonean line. You know, it, it, it's, it's public records. But if you study historically, you know, the Hasmoneans even went south and became corrupted yeah. and committed murder and different things. So what happens? You reap what you sow. So the Herodians come along, which is Herod. 
uh, that this period, and he knocks them off. He knocks out the Hasmonean line. He just kills them all. It's like Game of yeah, Thrones. It is. There you go. <laughs> it is. And then, of course, we go into the Roman period uh, in, in 70 uh, AD to 324 AD. Uh, the Roman period, you know, where are the Romans? They're nowhere to be found. Think about it. Then all of a sudden, we go into the Byzantine period, 324 to 638 uh, AD. And, of course, the, the, where are the Byzantines? Uh, and then we have, of course, the uh, first Muslim period was in 638 to 1099. Okay, and, and of course, they, they ruled and reigned, and now they're just inhabitants. They, they live there, but they're not conquerors uh, in the land of Israel. Uh, then we have the Crusader period, 1099 to 1187 uh, AD. We have the Crusader period. Uh, no longer really, you know, they have some, uh, some, some existence there, but, but once again, not, they, don't, they don't run the show. Uh, then we have this interesting period with Saladin from 1187 to 1259. They call this the Ayyubid period. Uh, 1187 to 1259 CE with Saladin, uh, who was a Muslim. Uh, and of course, he's, he's long gone. What about the Mamluk period? 1250 to 1516 AD. The Mamluks, where's Mamluk? Isn't he like in the, the, the cartoon strips? Isn't he like a dog? Mamluk? But these are the Mamluks. Oh, geez. I know. Now, what about the Ottomans? We have the Ottoman period from 1516 to 1917. Wow, almost 400 years, That's Ryan. Right. The Turks, the Ottoman period, there it is. Boom, the Ottomans, right there. And, of course, last but not least, in 1917 to 1948, we have the British Mandate. You know, what do you say, mate? I want to spot a T. Uh, get out. You're done. You know, where are the British? They're gone. So think about it, everyone. Literally, God has vomited out those empires, those conquerors, to let the Jewish people, his chosen people come to live in the land and all that. Isn't that incredible? I mean, that is amazing. They're the only indigenous people to ever come back to their original homeland and come back like they did. I mean, it's amazing that we're seeing this even 70 years that Israel's been a nation and, and we're just enjoying this. Uh, finishing up here in Leviticus 1829, uh, for whosoever shall commit any of these abominations, even the souls that commit them shall be cut off from among their people. So the, the land's going to vomit you out. You're cut off from among your people. So listen up, everybody. We have to do it Yahweh's way, his way. You know, uh, I was looking at Amos 9, 14 and 15 in regards to the, the Jewish people coming back to the land, his chosen people, his beloved. And I want to read to you uh, in Amos 9, 14 and 15. And I do believe, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the newly elected prime minister who's actually still in office, uh, prime minister Benjamin Netanyahu, actually uh, gave this to the media. It says here, right, Amos 9, 14, in regards to the people in the land. And I will bring again the captivity of my people of Israel, and they shall build the waste cities and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and drink the wine thereof. They shall also make gardens and eat the fruit of them. And I will plant them upon their land, and they shall no more be pulled up out of their land, which I have given them, saith the Lord thy God. So the question of whether the Jews can have homes over there or not, it's, it's stated right here. It says right here. It, it, it just says it. He's going to bring them back. They're going to build the waste cities and inhabit them. And they shall plant vineyards and drink the wine thereof. There's Hayovel represented right there. And of course... Uh, they shall also make gardens and eat the fruit of them. Uh, no more be pulled up out of their land. Amen. So think about that, everybody. That's a prophecy and a praise report. 
all in one. So just keep that in mind. We're living in exciting times. You know, there's supposedly some, some kind of peace plan coming from the Trump administration, whatever, President Trump, but we'll see what happens here. But uh, the Bible's clear that the land belongs to Yahweh and that the Jews have a right to build homes and to live there and to inhabit these, of course, uh, waste cities. So think about it, everyone. Three things are synonymous, the Bible, the people, and the land. You can't take one without the other. All three are intertwined. Okay, so think about it. The Bible, the people, and the land of Israel, they're all intertwined. And that's you that are listening to this podcast. You that are coming out of the nations, my tip, my hat to you because you are awesome. He's writing Torah on your minds and your hearts because we are going to be an exceeding great army. That's what the Bible talks about. The Valley of Dry Bones becomes this. And it even says when we came out of Egypt, we were an army. We came out in an army formation. So uh, I'm going to let Ryan close it up here and, and, and conclude with, of course, a couple things that can be learned uh, from this Torah portion, Akhiramot, based upon a consensus. And uh, just th- want to thank all of you for listening to the podcast. And listen, look up, because your redemption draweth nigh. That's right. So uh, my, the, we always pick these two points right at the end of our uh of our groups on Monday nights. And just to kind of give you guys an idea of what our group came up with last night. Uh, the first thing was that God keeps his promises, uh, in the restoration of the land. So just as God promised here that he's going to vomit them out of the land, uh, because of these sins, uh, that are committed. He also then promises, uh, later on that he's going to restore them to the land. And, and to that end, um, you know, prior to, you, you mentioned the vomiting out, right? All these groups get vomited out, vomited out, I know. vomited out. Well, here's, Think what, about it. here's what's interesting. No group ever prospered in the land. So that's kind of a, a fact. Uh, after um, the, the destruction of the temple in 70 and the Bar Kokhba revolt in, in like 135 AD, uh, the Romans you know, just burned everything. They through, actually salted the they, ground. Right. They salted the ground. That so was nothing in the Torah. Would grow. Yeah. They salted the ground. But here's, here's what Mark Twain, yes, that's right, the American author, Mark Twain, this is what he says about the land uh, when he goes and visits there back in the 1800s. Uh, he says, A desolate country whose soil is rich enough but is given over wholly to weeds, a silent, mournful expanse. A desolation is here that not even imagination can grace with the pomp of life and action. We never saw a human being on the whole route. There was hardly a tree or a shrub anywhere. Even the olive and the cactus, whose fast fr- those fast friends of the worthless soil, had almost deserted the country. So for him to say that, and then for Israel to being a bustling metropolis, uh, a, a, a world power, uh, an agricultural giant, I mean, it's just amazing. God keeps his promises. Uh, for, for the observations of Mark Twain in the 1800s versus... Uh, 1948 and beyond to see what the Jewish people have done in the land is astounding. It's amazing. Uh, And there's just no other explanation than God has his hand on it. God returned to the land and God keeps his promises. Our second thing, which I think from this Torah portion is the most important point to get out of it, is that uh, Jesus is our high priest. And the earthly high priest can give you the instructions and can help you and deem you clean or unclean, but your heavenly high priest can make you clean. And so my encouragement to you today is that if the Torah truly points to Yeshua, to the Messiah, then go to him and let him make you clean. Let him instruct you. Let him love on you. 
have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, because that's what all of this is about. All of this is about getting closer to Jesus. And if you don't use this for that purpose, then you're misusing it. Um, all right, awesome. So at the beginning of the podcast, I was telling you guys to make sure that you go on to your uh, podcast app in iTunes and review the podcast. Uh, I would really, really, really appreciate it if you guys would do that. I'm going to go and I'm going to check. And for those of you that do, maybe we'll figure something out for you. Um, you want to do a little plug, Ryan, about the County of the Omer? Ooh, man. Yes, absolutely. I'm so glad you reminded me of that's, that. That's it. That's the Holy Spirit. Ooh. So, yes. So, we are in the midst of the Counting of the Omer. Today is the third day. Tonight, we'll start the fourth day. And actually, I want to go ahead and lead you guys in the blessing. So, for, for those of you that may be not familiar, you hear the Counting of the Omer. You know what... Passover is, and you know what Pentecost is. Well, uh, from the morrow after the Sabbath until 50 days later, right? The morrow after the Sabbath, 50 days later, is a 50-day period that we call the counting of the Omer. You're counting up to the Feast of Weeks to the counting of the Omer. And uh, you count up 50 days from uh, the first fruits all the way up to Shavuot or Pentecost. And so uh, we're going to go ahead and, and count, and we're going to go ahead and say the blessing. And so today is the third day of the counting of the Omer, which is three days and zero weeks of the counting of the Omer. And then the blessing is, Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Kidshinu B'Mitzvotah Vitzivanu Al Sifarat HaOmer. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, whose commandments add holiness to our lives and commands us to count the Omer. Amen. So that's the blessing. Uh, you guys can can go back and replay that, write it down. You can also Google it. It's pretty easy to find online to find that blessing. But if you say that every day, you'll be participating in the 50 days of the counting of the Omer all the way up to the day of Pentecost, which 1,500 years apart is the giving of the Torah and the giving of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2. And so Ashley... Passover, Pesach's connected to Shavuot or Pentecost because of the counting of the Omer. That's right. Uh, just a quick little tidbit for all of you. Two incredible things happen during the counting of the Omer. Okay, we're counting seven Sabbaths up to 50. Uh, so the bottom line is that uh, Israel became a nation during the counting of the Omer. I say that's a big deal. Wow. Okay. Uh, also, just as well, uh, they took back Jerusalem, right? Took back the city of Jerusalem in 1967 uh, in the Six-Day War in June. Amen. And uh, some incredible things have happened. You and know? I believe my favorite pastor was born in That's in right. The I, I, I appreciate those kudos. May 11th, <laughs> 1967. Yeah, you know, you uh, Yeah, during the counting of the Omer, I was born. So it was incredible. I, I just don't remember it. But uh, but I'm just thankful to be here, be alive for such a time as this. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and Ryan as well. We were born for such a time as this. Think about it. The first generation to be born again, baptized in water, filled with the Holy Spirit, and have the Torah. Yes, to have the Torah. So we are that first generation ever in the history of God's redemptive plan. So don't take it lightly. Get out there, love, and serve, and make this world a better place. Amen. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to review uh, uh, the podcast either on SoundCloud or on iTunes. Don't forget to go online and help support us in growing the podcast as well, because it does take money to get this stuff going. And uh, if you guys need prayers, if you need anything, you guys can reach out to me at ryan at topraise.net. And you can call the office at 813-654-2222. And don't forget to live stream our services every Saturday uh, online to praise.net or any of our social media Saturdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. God bless you guys. Have a great week.